So, Father, we thank you for Mark, uh, for your love for him, for your work in his life, for his faithfulness in pastoring our youth. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bless him abundantly now, that you would uh, reinforce the words that you have already given him to speak, and that he would even listen as he is giving this message that if you direct him off in a different direction, that he would be faithful and follow that. So uh, we give you praise, Lord, for him and for his service and for the word he brings today. And we thank you and ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hello. hear that? Okay. Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Well, I had the uh, divine wisdom of having a uh, nice, large youth bonfire at my house last night, the night before I was to do this. So forgive me if I'm a little bit tired. But it was a blast, as it always is. Um, well, I was going to open uh, this morning with some statistics, but I actually have to uh, wait to do that a little bit later on. So um, there's a reason behind it. So let's just jump right into the scripture this morning. It's uh, Mark 10, 46 through 52. That's right. Of course it's Mark. Um, and there's no slides or anything, so we're doing it old school today. But Mark 10, verse 46 through 52. And this is uh, Jesus and his disciples. It says, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage. Stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. So Jesus is walking down the road, and he's leaving Jericho. And like so many other times, he has a huge crowd following him along with his disciples. And on their walk, they come across this blind beggar named Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus hears that it is Jesus the Nazarene and starts to call out to him. So Bartimaeus already knows who Jesus is. Jesus' reputation has kind of preceded him. And so he knows that this is the guy who can heal him. If anybody can, this is, this is the one. Um, and so what does he say to him? 
he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? He's calling out to him. So did Jesus uh, stop and help him right away? No. The people of the crowd, of the followers, the people in the crowd and the followers started sternly telling him, you know, keep his mouth shut. And they, uh, they tried to just shut him up. So before we go into anything about the crowd trying to shut him up, I wanted to ask a question. Uh, do you think that Jesus heard Bartimaeus the first time that he cried out? Think he did? And the scripture doesn't say, and you have to kind of speculate for yourself, I mean, but, but if you just look at the, uh, you know, thinking of Jesus as the, as the nice and the, um, you know, merciful and the kind Savior, you know, it, it can be easy to try to think that he, that he didn't, you know, because he's just, you know, he starts walking kind of right by him. And, you know, you can say, well, there was a crowd, and I'm sure it was loud, and Jesus didn't start for Bartimaeus when he first cried out because maybe he was teaching, he was just walking on the road, you know, because surely this great and merciful Savior would have, uh, you know, would have stopped when he, when he heard this man crying out. But that's, but that's not what happened. So let's just picture the scene. You have Bartimaeus, and it says that he's sitting down near the road, right? So he's just, you know, it doesn't say that he's up on a hill somewhere, and he's, you know, crying out from a tree or something. So he's near the road, and, um, and you have many people trying to, trying to tell him to be quiet. You know, it says that there's plural. It would be one thing if it was just one guy, and he walks over to, to Bartimaeus, and he's like, dude, just keep it down, you know. <laughs> but, but you have a group of people scolding him. And so he must have been making a lot of ruckus. You know, he must have been making kind of a scene. Um, and I mean, even if Jesus was teaching while he was walking down the road, it's like, a, I just, I can't believe that with a group of people telling him to be quiet that you wouldn't have heard him. So, you know, what does it mean? Why did it make such a big deal out of whether Jesus heard him initially or not? And... You know, I think it would mean that Jesus heard the cries of a desperate man and he just continued to walk on by. You know, he didn't, he didn't stop initially. And so what brings Jesus to stop in verse 48? You know, what does Bartimaeus say differently? You know, how does he, how does he change up his, his tactic to get his attention? You know, what, did he change his wording at all? See, it says... Verse 46, it says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then down in 48, it says, son of David, have mercy on me. So, I mean, honestly, he didn't say anything different at all. There was nothing, there was no wording, no way of coaxing him in with his words that, uh, that changed. But it was simply that he disregarded everything that would distract him from going directly to Jesus for his blessing. The people walking up to him, sternly telling him, you know, hey, Bart, you know, shut up. There's, you know, he's trying to teach. He's trying to get out of here. He's leaving, he's leaving this place. Just, you know, don't slow him up. I'm sure they called him Bart. <laughs> but what did Bartimaeus do? You know, I mean, could you imagine what he would have done if he just listened to the crowd and he just would have sat there and kept his mouth shut? You know, I mean, Jesus could have just walked right on out. And he would have never had that experience. His life would have never been changed. 
You know, do you think that Jesus would have stopped and turned around anyways? It's possible. You know, so Bartimaeus's wording didn't change, but his character did. I kind of imagine this story, you know, a little like this. So Bartimaeus is just kind of, he's sitting there and he's, you know, got a cup or something and his arms out and his head's down or, you know, whatever it would have looked like there. And, and uh, you know, so he hears the crowd coming and maybe he hears one of them say, you know, oh, it's, it's Jesus the Nazarene, you know, he's going out and... And somehow he hears that it's Jesus, and and so he, you know, his ears kind of perk up, and he's like, "Oh, this is this is Jesus the Nazarene. You know, this is the one, the one guy, the guy who heals lepers and raises the dead and and everything." He's like, "This is this is my one chance, my one opportunity to get this, you know, to to have a new life, to have this man touch me or heal me or whatever he's going to do. And if I don't act on this one moment, then." You know, it'll be gone forever. So I got to get him. I got to get his attention. I got to stop him. I got to do whatever it takes. He said, so I'm going to do it. And he, you know, kind of clears his throat. And he, <clears throat> Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. Hey, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. You know, and he, it's, it says that he cries out, but, you know, and he must have been being a little bit loud, but... It wasn't enough to, to have Jesus to have Jesus stop. So I picture Jesus kind of just slowing down. You know, he hears the voice, he hears it, and he kind of slows down and you know, he starts to maybe turn to see who it is, but he you know, he could have heard the father say, No, keep going, you know, keep walking a little bit. Let's let's continue on a little further. And this is where the character change happens. You know, the crown comes up and they say, Bart, you'll be quiet, blah blah blah. And, whatever they would do to, to get him to be quiet. And, and Bartimaeus is just, you know, th- this, is, this is his one moment to, to stand up. So he goes, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And he says the actual, you know, he really starts making a scene now. He really throws up his hands and he's done. He's done with the crowd. He's, he, it hits him that this is your one chance to get this out of your life and to get this blessing. So what are you going to do? And that stops Jesus in his tracks. And I know that imagining this story this way is purely speculation, you know, and there's nothing, there's no translation that says that Jesus told him to keep, or God the Father told Jesus to keep walking, but, you know, you, there's something that we can't ignore here, and that's that Jesus walked by the Bartimaeus in verse 46, but he stopped for the Bartimaeus in verse 48. And I'm saying that it was Bartimaeus's just complete disgar- disregard of what anyone else thought of him that did it. You know, it was, it was pure humility. And he was already a pretty humble dude, I'd imagine. I mean, you kind of would have to be a blind beggar on the side of a road. You know, you don't have much to your name, I guess. You know, he had his cloak. And so now, you know, Bartimaeus has a choice. He says, give up and miss out on a potential life-altering blessing or get rid of the last little bit of pride that you would have left, that he had left, and to fight to get Jesus' attention. You know, fight to get to him. (laughs) 
And a little pride can go a very long way in a person's life. You know, it's like a little, little tiny bit can, can affect you in a huge way. And, you know, we can see it in people all over the place where, you know, you look at them and, and they have very little, but they're still very prideful and they don't want to, you know, get that help. They don't want to get that, have someone help them in any way, whether it be financially or serving them or, or anything. You know, but in fact, it says that God opposes the proud. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. That's James 4, 8 through 10. And God wanted to heal Bartimaeus' eyes. And of course he did. I'm sure that he did hear him and that he, you know, he wanted to stop and he wanted to do that. But it was the heart that the Father was really after. It was the heart that Jesus was really was after. You know, healing the eyes is something that he can do to anybody. But you know, the heart change in Bartimaeus he had to do on his own. And because how many of us know that when God calls us to himself, you know, he wants your whole life. He doesn't want just, you know, this, this, the salvation experience. You know, he wants everything. So Bartimaeus humbled himself before God, and God exalted him. So in this story, we see Jesus draw Bartimaeus out. You know, he doesn't spood feed him his blessing. You know, Bart had a role in this dance also, so. And this actually isn't the first time that we see Jesus do this either. So, you know, if you turn with me uh, just a couple page ba pages back, oh, we're staying in Mark. We go back to chapter 7, verse 25 through 30. So just to set the scene a little bit, Jesus is trying to find some peace and quiet, but of course, the crowd finds him instead and comes to the house where he's staying in. So, you know, let this be a little bit of a lesson for you. You know, Jesus is, it says he's, you know, just trying to find a place to be alone and a crowd finds him. You know, don't, <laughs> if you freak out every time something doesn't go the way you want it, you know, it didn't even really happen for Jesus because he just wanted to be alone and instead a crazy mob comes and finds him anyways in, in a crammed house. Um, but you see, he, he goes to this home, and he's sitting there, and there's this huge crowd, and a Gentile woman hears that Jesus is there. And, you know, Gentiles and Jews, they don't really mix very well. You know, they're really not supposed to be interacting that much at all in that culture and that, uh, um, in that lifestyle. So this woman, though, nevertheless, she comes to Jesus, and she... And that's where we pick up in verse 25. So a woman who had had, let's see, hold on, on the wrong page. So it says, but after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter 
had an unclean spirit, immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone from your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon had left. So, you know, notice how... <laughs> Notice how Jesus lets her keep asking. You know, it's, she has to just persistently, I don't know what happened when she asked the first time, would Jesus just say, you know, no? And did she just keep coming back and, and keep that persistence? But she has to keep asking for Jesus to cast this demon out of her daughter. And he even, you know, sees that she'll give up after tossing a few insults at her. I mean, he kind of, you know, compares her to a dog, and it's just like, I'm, you know, you can't, why give good bread to a dog? And it's pretty insulting, but, you know, this woman wouldn't give up. And in humility, she asked Jesus to heal her daughter again and again. And in doing so, her faith in God is awakened. You know, Jesus wanted to cast this demon out of the daughter, I'm sure. You know, f of course, he, he is merciful, he is... He does take pity on her, but he was after her character. He was after her heart. He was after this faith that he knew would be awakened out of her if, if he drew her out in this way. You know, I mean, he could go around and just spoon feed her, and the moment she walked up, just say, yep, you can go. She's gone. You know, demon's gone. You're good. She was gone. Oh, okay, great. But, you know, breaking her down and getting that, getting the hum having her just completely humble and having to, to come and keep asking is what drew that faith out of her. Much like Bartimaeus, this woman was tested a little before her blessing came. And it happens throughout the Old Testament also. I mean, just this past Wednesday, we talked about Naaman, who was a leper, and, and you know he had to get rid of his pride a little bit before he could go and, and be healed of his leprosy. You know, he goes to Elisha and... and it's, you know, it's a great story, and it's all throughout the Old Testament. You see stories and the New Testament stories of how people are, are drawn out and, and, you know, a little bit before their blessing can come, and they have to be, you know, break down the pride in their life. Now, I feel like, you know, some of you may be thinking, well, you know, God sure does make it hard for us to get to him, doesn't he? Then if, you know, I thought Jesus was just standing at the door knocking, and all we had to do was just, you know, open open up the door for him and um and yeah i think when it comes to our salvation no one is more eager or more active in it than god you know, just like the father of the prodigal son our father is sprinting after us you know our whole lives every single day but god doesn't just want us to believe in him he wants us to follow him you know he wants us to be a virtuous people a people of integrity and a people you know, without blemish. He wants us to be people of character and people who don't stumble, but who walk upright for all the world to see and for the people of this world to give glory to him. 
So about those statistics I was going to share, you know, I wanted to look up some areas in Christians' lives that cause us to stumble, but my plan kind of backfired a little bit, and you know why? I went to Google, and I typed in struggles in church statistics, just to get a scope about, you know, you know I know that there's polls out there and everything, just to get a scope about what, you know, what causes Christians to stumble, you know, of all ages, so... You know, guess what I got? I got page after page after page of one stumbling block, and it's pornography. I couldn't even find, I couldn't find anything else. You know, it was just page after page after page of it. You know, now I knew that I, I'd assumed that porn would be at the top of the list. I figured of whatever statistic I would find, you know, but exclusively, I couldn't find anything on alcoholism. I couldn't find anything on drug use, anger, gossip. I couldn't find anything else. You know, maybe even cussing. I don't know, just whatever. A little variety. But it was exclusive. And so since this is obviously the largest issue, according to the statistics, let's just look at them real quick. It's not, not so much, but 77% of men ages 18 to 30 view it monthly. Christian men. You know, these, are, these are Christian men. 66% of Christian men ages 31 to 49 view it at work monthly. And 95% of born-again Christians have, have viewed it. And 54% of them are still doing it monthly. You know, and that's the men, but honestly, the women's numbers aren't that much better. It's like kind of just a little bit behind on everything. You know, and these stats come from the Barna Group and Proven Men Ministries. Now, I'm not just going to read these statistics just to make us feel bad and say, you know, now stop looking at porn, church, and let's get on with our, you know, ministries. You know, because honestly, I'm sure that those of us that struggle with this really just don't want to do it, right? I mean, I can't imagine anything bringing that much more shame. But not wanting to do it is, you know, like Bartimaeus in verse 46. You know, he's just kind of, you know, he, he, wants, he wants it. He'll make a little bit of noise. He'll, he'll sit there and he'll go, hey, you know, Jesus, son of David, take pity on me. You know, it's, it's not enough to just want to change. And if these numbers are correct, then that's exactly what we've been doing, you know, as a, as a church. Not, not this church body in particular, but just as a church in general, you know, God's body. You know, we let our pride keep us from dealing with this character flaw. And our salvation is secure in Jesus. You know, that's, that much is for certain, but it's our character that God wants to change after that. You know, it's these virtues, it's, it's the fruits of the Spirit that he wants to see grow in our lives. 
and you know he wants to clean off the image of his image bearers. So how do we deal with this? You know what needs to change? Where do we start? And that's you know, honestly not enough. I have a whole series on that, so it's unfortunately kind of a cliff cliffhanger here where I can't answer all those questions immediately. But you know I can tell you just from a personal experience that no other sin has ever been more difficult for me to deal with in my life than lust. But, you know, I read First John 1, 9 through 2, 1. And it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, that we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You know, and there's a lot more to that, that, you know, that he had written before that. But, you know, that's a big part. You know, he's writing, he said that he's writing to that to us so that we may not sin. You know, and I'm not one to believe that after you become a Christian, it's like, you know, there's a point in your life where you just have to sin. You know, the Holy Spirit has to step aside in you and be like, all right, sin, you can, you can have him for the day because, you know, this is how it has to be. You know, I don't, I don't see that in Scripture. I don't, you know, I know a lot of people use the thorn in the flesh, you know, Scriptures and everything to say that this is, you know, it's, you know, we're still sinners even though we're Christians. It's just I don't, I don't see that. You know, confession and accountability are the first steps to getting sin practices out of your life. So, you know, I had started, you know, when I wanted to deal with this, you know, whatever lust issue, I, I had to do that. I had to go to accountability. I had to get, get something started in my life. And so I went to Jeff, went to my wife. I went to, you know, our men's group. I just, you know, you have to have that. You have to have that. Isolation is the worst thing that you could do. You know, Satan wants you to be isolated. And he will use your pride to keep you that way. You know, so shut your mouth. You know, don't bring this up. What will people think of you? What will people say about you? What, you know, how dare you even think about doing that? You know, he uses that crowd to gather around you and to shut you off from Jesus. Say to you, how will your pride be affected? That's really the question he's asking. That's the question he's asking himself. What, how will his pride be affected if I let this happen? Now I understand that not everyone here is, you know, primarily affected by this issue in the church. But your weak, you know, your weak area may be something completely different. But you know, the rule, same rules still apply. You know, Satan's not going to. <laughs> his tactics are actually pretty simple. I promise you that if you try to go after what it, <laughs> go and deal with whatever area in your life is this, you know, whatever your your weakness is, you know, the crowd is going to come and he's, it's going to try to shut you up. 
And Satan will send them in the form of temptations and distractions and isolation. And they're going to, you know, they're going to come in numbers. And Jesus is right there. And, you know, we need to rise above them and we need to be able to see through them. And, you know, we need to, we need to do whatever it takes for us to get our blessing, you know, for us to get that, get, get our integrity back. You know, 77%, and that's, you know, and it's through those humbling experiences, you know, the, the, the times where you just got to, you just got to do it. You know, there's no other way around it. You've been trying on your own. You've been trying in isolation. You've been, you know, whatever you're doing, it's, it's, whatever we as a church are doing, it's not working. And if we if we start doing those those humbling experiences, then then we'll really start to look more like our Savior. So if you are struggling with some sin issue in your life, then you've got to surround yourself with fellow believers who will hold you accountable in your walk with Christ. You know, when I first became a Christian, I <laughs> I thought you know, that this was kind of a, a sign of weakness. I thought, well, you know, it's, it's me and God. I can do whatever. You know, I kind of had a lone wolf Christian mentality, and unfortunately that's still, you know, a huge mentality in people of, you know, I, I have friends. I have, you know, people that I know that just, they don't want to tie down to any kind of community. They like to just kind of migrate around and, and be the, the Christian lone wolf in their life because it's just them and God. But I was also very naive. So, you know, and if you have that same mentality, then Satan really doesn't need to worry too much about you. You know, because you're doing half of his work for him. You know, you're letting your pride just kind of keep you, keep you away from that. Those people that can, that can step in, that can help you and hold you accountable and actually, you know, challenge you to be a better person. Challenge you to be a, you know, person of character. It's like to be a person who stands up. It's like we've just inherited this this part of Adam that, you know, just doesn't want to deal with conflict and doesn't want to deal with stuff. And so, you know, you can see it just in our, everywhere. You know, people just don't want to, don't want to deal with that and don't want to be, have their character challenged or, or anything like that. You know, you want to have the facade up. So you're doing half of his work for him and you're keep, you're letting your pride keep yourself isolated and, you know, the crowd has you pretty well surrounded. Satan is the lion looking for one individual person to devour. You know, it's much harder for a lion to attack the herd that's close-knit and that's united. And, you know, we all want to be people of integrity. We all want to be people of character. I mean, gosh, I want to be the best husband I can for my wife. I want to be, uh, you know, someone who is the same in my private life as I am in my public life. I want to be an example to our youth. I want to be an example to my kids. You know, when they come, I want, you know, at my work. It's, we all want that. That's nothing new where, you know, someone's like, oh, yeah, well, I don't really want that. That's not for me. But, you know, it's time for us to stop letting Jesus just pass us by every day and to do what we need to do to get his attention. 
you know, start screaming out. If all you've been doing is kind of waving your hands, then, you know, your technique has to change. So, you know, examine yourselves and see what the, you know, look at the fruits that are listed in Galatians. Look at the, you know, where it lists the good and the bad. There's plenty of them in the New Testament. You can just find them and just say, oh, well, you know, self-control. That's, let me think. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of that 77%. Let me work on that. You know, so so look at that, and you know you have to kind of. It's not a fun thing to examine yourself, but it's not something you really want someone else to do either. So, <laughs> so let's do this, and you know, not let our pride just allow Jesus to keep walking by in in this area of your life. Amen. 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 All right. So now we'll take communion. Forgive me, I don't know who's going to do it, but. Andre and Cindy, would you all like to come up? And Jeff and Sally, would you all like to? Okay. All right, well, let's pray. So, Father, I just, uh, Lord, I thank you that you did, uh, that you do care more than just the simple outer blessings, you know, that we can receive, but you, you look much deeper and you want to get, get down in there and to, to make us a people that are worthy to, to carry your name and to carry your image. And Lord, um, as we just look at look at these stats and just look at the, you know, the condition that our own lives are in, Father, I just I would, I ask that you encourage us and that you um, that you just bring to our mind that you know we're your children and that there is nothing that can um, that can overcome us if if we are truly seeking you and if we are if we're serious about getting this out, we you know there is nothing that that can stop us from doing that. But Lord, I just ask for the for just the pride to to leave us and to give us the strength and the wisdom to know how to deal with with the issues in our lives that are affecting us and affecting our families and the affecting the way that people view your church and view your body, Lord. 